Hello, everyone. Welcome back to I See What You're Saying, the Disciplined Listening Podcast. I'm Michael Reddington, and today it is my pleasure to introduce our next guest, Julie Brown. Julie is a networking expert. She is a business owner, speaker, author of the book, This Shit Works, and host of the podcast under the same name, This Shit Works. She's an amazing person with so much energy, so much passion for what she does, and so many great lessons to share with all of us. She leveraged her very successful career in business development in the ultra-competitive construction industry in Boston, Massachusetts, to teach people how to maximize the value of their relationships. That's relationships they currently have, maybe relationships, as she says, that have gone dormant, or relationships with people they haven't met yet. And this is true for relationships external to our organization or our own circle of influence or within our organization or our own circle of influence. So I'm really excited to speak with Julie today. Selfishly, I can use a lot of these lessons is networking is clearly not one of my strongest skills. Go through what she has been teaching, some new work that she's building and she's going to start teaching very shortly. So I'm very, very excited for this conversation with Julie today. Before we go further, I want to make sure we thank our sponsors. Of course, we start with Humantel. Please head over to Humantel.com and enter the code INQUASIVE25 for 25% off industry-leading, best-in-class, self-paced online training to understand how to identify when people's emotions are changing during the course of your conversations. The ability to identify this will unlock new opportunities to build rapport, find value, avoid confrontation, make agreements, keep you and your family safe. It is very, very well worth taking the training. I promise I've done it all. I personally vouch for it. That's humantel.com, the codes in Quasive 25. Please also head over to Emotional Intelligence Magazine at ei-magazine.com and explore their ever-growing list of emotional intelligence resources from books to articles to blogs to podcasts to other interviews to online programs to group programs to in-person. They have so much going on over there. Check out Emotional Intelligence Magazine. And yes, for all of the professional interviewers who are listening, please head over to the International Association of Interviewers at certifiedinterviewer.com. Please check out all of their resources that they have available for elite interviewers. The legal updates, the peer peer-to-peer networking, the online events, the in-person events, all the benefits that they have over there. Please check it out. And while you're there, of course, please explore the certified forensic interviewer designation and see if it's right for you. It's been a big part of my career and my journey. I highly recommend it. See if it is right for you and if you qualify at this point in time in your career as well. So that's certifiedinterviewer.com for the International Association of Interviewers and the Certified Forensic Interviewer designation. Thank you all so much for joining us once again, taking the time to listen to another amazing conversation. And without further ado, I introduce to you, Julie Brown. Good morning, Julie. It is so great to see you again, and I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to come here today and talk with us. Thank you so much. Well, we are talking about my number one favorite thing in the entire world, so thanks for having me on. (laughs) My pleasure. My pleasure. Happy to give you the opportunity. And I got to say this early for people that are listening and may not know, but we initially met when you had me on your podcast, appropriately entitled This Shit Works. (laughs) And I love the conversation. And now I'm super thrilled that we have the opportunity to flip the script a little bit Mm -hmm. and talk about networking and share all of your expertise with our audience, because it is a facet of communication that is very important for all of us. And one that for many of us, myself included, hand up, we're not super comfortable with or don't really look forward to. So I'm, I'm really, really happy to have the opportunity to talk with you. today. Well, let's get going. 
Let's do it. So let me ask you, I got I ask everybody probably the most obvious question right yeah. out of the gate. Help us with a little bit of context. You mm-hmm. are the networking expert that we know yeah. today, but what led you, I guess the Cliff Notes version of, of your journey, sure. what led you to this point into this area of expertise? Yeah. So prior to starting my company, which I started in 2016, I was doing business development inside major corporations. And so as a business developer trying to bring in, so I worked in the architecture and construction industry. So I was trying to bring in new business for either the architecture firm I worked at or the construction firm I worked at. And all of that business I brought in over relationship building, by relationship building. So I was very strategic about it. The problem with networking is people think it's not strategic. It's very strategic. So I was strategic in, I knew who I wanted to be my clients. I knew who were already my clients that I wanted to make sure they stayed my clients. And I was very strategic about building relationships, deepening relationships with my existing clients and building new relationships that would lead to those people becoming my clients. And I got a reputation for being one of the best business developers in Boston. I'm from Boston. I work in Boston. So one being one of the best business developers in Boston. And when I went out on my own as a consultant, I started as a business development consultant saying, okay, there are a number of firms who would love to have business development people on staff, but were rather expensive. So what if it was, I was a fractional business developer. So I had a number of different clients and I was doing fractional business development. And that's when I started getting asked by companies and organizations if I could just talk about what I was doing, if I could teach their staff how to build relationships, how to know who to talk to, how to keep on on top of things and in touch with people. And that's when I realized I was like, oh, they just want me to teach networking. I wasn't calling it networking prior to that. I was just calling it relationship building and being very strategic. But it was networking. It was building a network of people who were invested in my success. And so that's when I started talking about networking and being termed and then terming myself a networking expert, which led me to the book is three years old. So I wrote a networking book three years ago. So it all it all came from just being really, really good at what I was doing, not even realizing, oh, I'm a networking expert at the time. That's a great story, but it's not just being really, really good at what you were doing. It's being really good at it, but be able, also being able to connect the dots for other people to learn from. Exactly. That that is another skill set. That's another level of realization. And not a lot of people can transition being good at something into teaching and supporting other people to being good at it as well. So we should acknowledge that besides just saying, well, I was really good. So I started doing this other thing too. I don't think the teaching came naturally for me. I think I stumbled on that a little bit because everybody has different levels of comfort with networking. And I was only looking at it from my my level of comfort, which is I'm extremely comfortable walking into rooms where I don't know anybody and introducing myself and having conversations and following up. It took me, I had a learning curve to say, okay, but not everybody is comfortable doing that. So I actually had to go back and think, okay, well, what if I wasn't comfortable doing it this way? How would I approach it if I wasn't okay doing this? And that made me a better networker and obviously a better coach because now I can coach all different kinds of people who are really comfortable doing it to people who are like, I absolutely would rather vomit in my hands and clap than network. So <laughs> what a great, great analogy. Um, well, let's start there because okay. I think people assume for me, and this is about me, I think people assume because of what I do, similar to you out in the public, you, you know, giving presentations and teaching and whatnot, that I must be 
great at networking and love being at events and, and love doing these things. For me personally, you give me a room full of people and somebody, something to teach, get out of the way. We're good. It's under control. Yeah. You get me at a registration table and put a name tag on me and say, go make friends. I'll be at the guy at the bar drinking a Guinness, telling myself entertaining stories about the people I'm sizing up, but having zero conversations with. And it's not so much that I'm introverted. It's more like I'm antisocial. So, so there's like, okay. there's a, a big gap for me to have to cross there. And earlier you touched on so many things that are important for relationship building. It's not just the networking, but it's knowing who to speak with, what to speak mm -hmm. about. Following up is another big one. Yep. Honestly, that's a ball that I drop sometimes. So if we were going to start with the people who struggle with networking yeah. and I'm put myself firmly in that group. What are the biggest opportunities we can capitalize on to start building these relationships with people who will invest in our success? Okay, so I think the first step is understanding why you should be doing it. Because I'm not going to convince anybody to network if they don't understand why they should be. And I will say, networking creates competitive advantages, full stop, full stop. And for your female listeners, studies show that one of the single biggest limiting factors for women in business is a lack of a network. And so I hope those two points are say, are enough to say, okay, this is something I actually should learn how to do and should invest time in because I can't make you do it if you don't see the value in it. So people who are uncomfortable doing it or don't know where to start, I always tell them to start where they already are. And what I mean by that is we have an antiquated way of looking at networks where networks, people think of it as, okay, a network is the people I know for business or whatever industry I'm in. And that's a very antiquated way of looking at the networking paradigm where we're sort of the center and it's everybody in our industry and everybody already knows everybody. That's a very antiquated way of looking at it. A better way of looking at it is Every single person I know is part of my network in one way or another. So I would tell your listeners to just make a list of everybody they already know. So no matter what age you are, it's you have family, you have friends of family, you have probably alumni groups, you probably went to college somewhere, you probably have an alumni group that you can tap into. Um, you have colleagues that you work with now, or you have past colleagues that you used to work with. So just make a list of all of the people that you know, and you don't even have to worry about like, well, we're not very close. It doesn't matter. There's, It's like an onion almost. You know, when you think about levels of networking, there's people that are really close to you. They're like your top five the people you talk to all the time. And as you go further and further out, those relationships aren't as strong. And some of them actually may be dormant, but dormant ties aren't dormant because you burn that bridge. They're dormant because... You're just not in a situation where you talk to that person anymore. This is especially like when past colleagues, like those might be dormant ties. So just think about all of the people that you already know and say, how can I actually retap into the network that I've already created? That's the easiest way we can do it. The second easiest way is there is a thing in social network theory called triadic closure. And triadic closure just means if you're introduced to somebody you don't know, through somebody you know, the rate with which your relationship grows is faster because you share a mutual connection. It's almost like you've been pre-vetted. 
And so look at all the people you already know and then ask strategically, hey, I'm actively trying to grow my network. I know there's importance in networking and it creates, you know, competitive advantages, full stop. Who is there someone in your network that you could introduce me to that we I might be good for their network and they might I might learn something from them and they might learn something from me. So use the power of strategic introductions to grow your network. That's the fastest way to weave a stronger web. I like that. You've already got me taking notes over here. So as, <laughs> as I look down, I'm, I'm taking notes. I promise. Um, but I I love the just the phrase dormant relationships to me was even an eye opener because it's easy to rationalize that mm-hmm. I haven't talked to somebody in a yes. while. They don't care. They're busy. If they cared, they'd call me so I can rationalize my way through yep. the discomfort of, so I'm, I'm just not going to call them. And the strategic introductions, so much there. I like it. And it, it to, I mean, honestly, to me, it hits home because I start thinking about, okay, what dormant relationships can I start to kind of crack back open? And I'm sure there's people that are probably wondering why I've never asked them who would it be worth introducing me to. Right. Just these people typically, especially those that you know and have enjoyed doing business with you, being around you, socializing with you, whatever it is, they're probably looking for opportunities to introduce you. We yeah. just might have to facilitate that a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, and the thing about it is, is I was reading an article recently or a study recently, very much about dormant ties. And so MIT has done a study called the power of weak ties. And I suggest that people look at that. And it is about um, when we reach out to weak ties for problem solving, we actually get more strategic and better answers to those problems because we're not falling back into the homogeny of answers that we normally get. So they did a study where they told people to reach out for problem solving to people they hadn't talked to in more than five years. And people really pushed back on it because they're like, oh, five years, that's weird. But when they did that, they realized that the problem solving was um, more intricate and more helpful. Another thing, another study that was just recently done was about the the element of surprise and happiness. And we all know, you know, the Surgeon General has said we are living in a in a time of socialization and you know, reduced socialization and loneliness epidemic. And this study, I love this because this study showed that when people reach out to somebody that is a dormant tie, somebody they haven't talked to in a while. It, the longer time between they've spoken actually makes them happier when the person reaches out because it's even more unexpected. And so if you have listeners who are, have dormant ties and they're thinking, wow, it's been 10 years, good, because they're going to be so excited when you reach out because the level of like excitement is higher when it's so un, unexpected. I love that. I think that's great. And if somebody is... On more on the fearful side, they listen to like, yeah, Julie, you know, you could be right, but what if they're not excited? Like, well, my response to that would be, it can't be any worse. We right. haven't talked to them in 10 years. <laughs> exactly. So either it makes them more excited and we created this new opportunity or we're right back to where we were, which is not associating with somebody. So exactly. the, the downside to that seems to be non-existent. Yeah. And I always say in my keynote, so I have a keynote of, uh, about networking and I always ask the audience to write down five words. And those five words are, I've been thinking about you. And just at some point after my keynote, pick one person to just send that text message to or send that email to. I don't know why, but I thought of you today. I was thinking of you. I heard this song and it made me think of you. I saw this picture. I I was reminded of this thing and it made me think of you. Just use those five words. 
And you wouldn't believe the stories that come back to me from audience members who use those five words. So I, I would encourage everybody to do that today. Use those five words to somebody. That's awesome. I and mean, I think we just came up with the title for the show, by the way. So thank you very much for solving <laughs> that little early for me. I appreciate that. <laughs> so I love the conversation about tapping back into our network, looking at the people we already have relationships with, diving back into those dormant ties. Yep. I'm going to be researching that. I think that's so awesome. I'm very yeah. happy to hear that. I think a lot of times too, when we think about networking, we think about either events we choose to attend or sometimes yes. events we're forced to attend. You, know, yeah. you talked about being successful in Boston for people that might not be aware. This is probably true in a lot of metropolitan areas, but to be a successful networker and business developer in the construction industry in Boston, you might have to be a black belt, a boxer, a professional negotiator, like yeah. lots of things have to go into that. So let's not undersell that, that achievement and mm -hmm. your ability to ingratiate yourself with different types of people in different types of rooms all over yeah. this. I mean, that yeah. in and of itself is a significant achievement. Um, but how can we coach people? You talked about the antiquated paradigm to get past some of the cliche and BS type behaviors yeah. that we encounter or are coached to perform at a lot of these networking events. Yeah, I teach a very, uh, I, I hate the word holistic approach to networking, but I, I teach a very natural approach to networking where I have this tool called the list yourself approach. It literally is exactly what it sounds like. And I ask everybody that I'm coaching or in my audience to write a list of 10 things that make them them that doesn't have anything to do with what they do for a living. Because we as Americans tend to, you know, hitch our entire um, identity on what we do for a living. And it's we start very young with children asking them, what do you want to be when you grow up? It's the first question you're asked when you go to college. Well, what are you going to major in? And it's the first question you're asked at a networking event. Oh, well, what do you do? And I'm really sick of people identifying themselves as what they do for a living because there's so much more to talk about and there's so many other ways to connect with people. So this list yourself approach is like, okay, I'm going to make a list of 10 things that make me me in my big, beautiful life that I've created that have nothing to do with what I do for a living. So for example, you know, I'll just give you a couple of mine. So you know, I'm a dog mom. I rescue dogs. I'm a skier. I'm a mountain biker. I really love bourbon. Um, I'm addicted to my Peloton. I love true crime podcasts or anything true crime. Anyways, fun fact, 68% of true crime um, watchers and readers and listeners are women. <laughs> I'm full of like weird statistics. I guess that could be on my <laughs> list too. Like I'm full of weird statistics. Like I'm a world traveler. All of that paints a picture of who I am that has nothing to do with what I do for a living. And what I want to do by giving people this list yourself approach is the ability to walk into um, networking events with the idea that I want to have conversations about who people are, not what people do. And what you can do when you make this list yourself approach is you can look at it and you say, okay, I can turn this list into what I call dopamine inducing questions. So dopamine neurotransmitter in the brain sits in the pleasure center of our brain and it, it encourages us to repeat actions. And there are certain questions that you can ask that elicit a dopamine spike in the person, the brain of the person you're talking to. 
And so those questions based on my list would be something to the effect of, I don't like to ask people if they have children because I don't have children. And then it's this weird conversation about, well, why don't you have children? You've been married for 20 years. So I don't ask about children, but I do ask about pets, you know? And a lot of times I'll just see somebody's screen. You can see my screen for your listeners. This is obviously a pic- pictures of my dogs. People will say, oh my God, let me see your dogs. I'll go, oh, do you have to? All the dog parents find each other at networking events. Do you have dogs? Um, what are you, what are you watching on Netflix right now is great because it's always updated. There's always something, what are you binging right now? What has your attention outside of work right now? What was the best vacation you ever went on? People's eyes light up. When I say that, I say, do you have any vacations planned? What's your next big adventure? And the reason why I'm asking, there's a twofold why I'm asking these kinds of questions is because it's much better than how, hi, how are you and what do you do? Because those are dopamine crashing questions. But these are questions that get people talking that I have easy follow-up afterwards. So if somebody says to me, if I say, where's your next big adventure? Do you have any trips planned? And they say, yeah, I'm going to South Africa. I can say, oh my God, it's my favorite place. I went, I did this and this and this. Do you mind if I send you some information? Do you need any help with restaurant recommendations or tours or whatever? It gives me an easy avenue for follow-up. And you mentioned not being good at follow-up in the beginning of this interview. 80% of building and maintaining relationships is just following up and people well, are thank afraid you for to making do me it. feel worse about myself well people are afraid to do it for a number of reasons one of them being the fear of rejection there's a huge issue of fear of rejection when it comes to networking why would anybody want to talk to me why should i go to this room why would anybody want to hire me or my business or refer me we have to get over that fear of rejection um because it's completely unfounded it's just it's built in our psyche Agreed. And is, you know, when you said that, I'm like, I don't have fear of rejection. You know, I probably do a little bit. <laughs> I'm like, going to be honest with myself on that one. And for me too, with the follow-up, it's not that, and I'm, this is just me confessing for no reason, but it, it's not that I don't understand the value or the importance of it. Like even in my life, I think about, you know, you mentioned my top five people outside of the ones that live in my house with me, my wife and son, my very best friends, I might talk to two or three times a year unless yeah. something happens. And then we talk a little bit frequently. So it's kind of been yeah. like my default communication mode that I need to overcome. But yeah. I definitely, uh, the concept of dopamine inducing questions is great. And the thing that I loved about that is you, and you talked about this earlier, strategic networking. Mm-hmm. So you're not just asking questions to start a conversation. You're not just asking questions to get that dopamine response. You're asking questions that you know set you up for the follow-up. So there's a long play to these questions that you're asking at the start of the conversation. And to me, that's fantastic. And I think that's a huge takeaway if people didn't necessarily catch it, was that asking these dopamine-inducing questions that you're comfortable with too, that they'll land in this great advice, don't ask the kid question and some other things. Um, But be ready. I'm intentionally setting up the next phase of this conversation or relationship with the questions Mm -hmm. I'm asking. Exactly. Um, and the thing about being strategic is sometimes when you say the word strategic, it might lead people to believe that there are right and wrong people to talk to. There's no, everybody's right. Everybody's right. There are very strategic rooms you can be in. So what room should I be in? So for example, I'm trying to, I wrote a brand new keynote and I'm, there's a specific audience for this keynote. And so I'm going to an event tonight and I'm going to be in a room of, um, the Society for Human Resources Management. 
the human resources um, directors are the people who need to hear my new speech because it's all about internal networking that I know we're going to get to later. But I'm very strategic about being in that room. Now, there's no wrong person in that room for me because, and the reason why I'm saying this is because a lot of times people, they they equate value to what somebody's title is or can they do something for me? And I don't do that because there's also... Um, in networking, when you begin to understand how networks work and how big they are, you understand that everybody has a sphere of influence of about 250 people, meaning I I probably know more because of what I do, but on average, people have 250 people in their sphere of influence in which their opinion carries weight. So even if I'm in that room and I'm talking to the quote unquote wrong person, this is again, not the words we would use, but a person who can't hire me or can't whatever. If I get to know that person and I respect that person and I follow up with that person, I have the ability to tap into their 250 people that they have, that their opinion carries weight with, that they have a sphere of influence with. And this is a thing, leads come from everywhere. Work comes from everywhere. So if you treat everybody as important and getting to know everybody on that very human level, you have no idea how that's going to come back to you. Um, so I want to just, there are strategic rooms, but everybody in those rooms are the right people. I love it. Tapping into their network. You never know where the next opportunity lies. Mm -hmm. Who can introduce you to somebody else? Being myopically focused on one title or one group is, yeah. we're taking opportunities off the table. Yeah. Exactly. Other people we could have conversations with. You mentioned something earlier that I feel like is a, an appropriate tie in here. And you're absolutely right. I can't wait to talk about this new keynote speech that you've got written. So we're going to leave time yeah. for that. Um, but I want to ask a question that I might not be the right person to ask. I'm definitely not the right person to answer. But you talked about going to this event tonight and networking to, to promote your, your new keynote speech. But earlier you also mentioned, and I don't want to misquote it, so correct me where I need to be mm -hmm. correct about networking being one of the biggest setbacks or opportunities with women professionals, mm -hmm. especially. Yeah. Exactly. I don't want to just let that pass. Okay. So for the women who are listening to this podcast, what are techniques, advice, considerations okay. that they can do specifically? And I don't know the right way to ask the question, to be more intentional, to be more confident, to make the most of the opportunity, whatever it is, but to start turning that number around. Yeah. So that quote was that studies show that one of the single biggest limiting factors for women in business is lack of a network. And there are four main reasons why this is happening. And the four main reasons are the differences in the way men and women network. Now, you have to understand, as a society, men have had a lot more opportunity to network because they were in the workforce for a lot longer. So networking was something that, beca that became quite natural and was part of the workforce, then women entered the workforce in droves later. So um, we're, I think some people are still getting comfortable with it. Um, but here are the four main differences that have arisen. There are other differences, but these are sort of the most detrimental ones. Um, and the first one is that women tend to build smaller networks, meaning men's so if we were going to look at the size of a network and we we're going to write all of the people we know as our network, men would tend to have much more names on that list than women. 
Um, and this could be from a number of different reasons, women coming in and out of the workforce during times off, having children or whatnot. Um, but they tend to have smaller, much smaller networks. It also could be a trust factor. Women tend to like um, be, I don't want to say less trustworthy, but we we create smaller networks of trust. Um, the second one is that women's networks tend to be really homogenous, meaning, and this is, this is a, these are blanket statements. So if people are listening and it's like, that doesn't sound like me, this is just the statistics. So, and, and, and if you're an outlier, that's great. Um, women's networks tend to be homogenous, meaning we network with people who not only look exactly like us, but are at the same age as us. Same, you know, we, they make the same amount of money as us. They have the same title as us, where men's networks are much more diverse in the sense that they, ne- so say they're, you know, middle management as company, they're networking with the CEO, the CFO, the people in the mailroom, like they network in a much broader sense, a more 360 degree sense. And there, there's more diversity in their networks. Um, the third one is, is women tend to shy away from making their relationships transactional in any sense, meaning asking for business, asking for referrals, in, inside offices, asking for mentors or push projects um, or advocates. And so we tend to shy away from asking our network for the things that we need. And the fourth one is probably one of the most detrimental, and that's time, Women tend to take on more familial obligations, and a lot of the times those familial obligations are happening at the time that networking events are happening, so either first thing in the morning, um, before work, or after work. Um, And also, a lot of women are in the sandwich generation right now, meaning they aren't only taking care of kids, they have aging parents as well. So, and this was exacerbated during COVID where we saw a number of women actually leaving the workforce because of homeschooling and needing and having children home from school and needing to be the, the one home from school. And even if the women were making more money than their, their male um, partner, they were the ones who stayed home. So that time thing is a really, really big, big issue. Oh, and I want to reinforce your point about the statistics and the standards and people can fall anywhere yeah. on that continuum. Some might apply more than others yeah. or not at all. So with those as a backdrop, are there specific steps that you've seen women take and be successful with not just expanding their network numerically, but enhancing the power of their networks as well? Yeah. So if we're going to, so if we're going to focus on ex- external networking for just a minute, as far as a tool Really tapping into who you already know and using that triad triadic closure, using strategic introductions, you can spin your wheels a lot. Like if you don't know, I mean, I think what you have to understand is if you don't know who you want to know, if you don't do your research and say, hey, this is the person within this company that I want to be connected to, you could spin your wheels for a long time trying to get to, and again, I'm going to use the word right, but there's no right or wrong people, but there's right people for your strategy for who you're going after. So be very strategic. Say, these are the people I want to meet. These are the circles I want to be in. This is the board I want to be on. This is the committee I want to be on. This is the organization I want to be involved in. And be very strategic about your time. We are never going to find more time. Okay. We got 24 hours a day. We're never going to find more time. 
So let's be very strategic about our time. Also, another thing is, you know, I, I want to unpack that a little because I put a lot there. So yes, use strategic introductions, ask your existing network for strategic introductions, make a list of who you want to be connected to, what are your potential clients, how you can get in there, who are the power players there, make your list, do your research on them to see how you can connect. And then as far as organizations, organizations are a huge tool um, to be able to get on committees, to be on committees with people, you know, like-minded and different um, people getting on boards. We all know the statistic that like 84% of board members are white men. So if we don't get on committees and we, then we don't get on boards. So being very strategic about this is what I'm in as far as what I do, this is what I'm really, really um, interested in and want to invest my time in and start getting placed on on, on boards that way. Um, another thing is, is networking doesn't have to happen in a networking event. And I always say you have to find time to network. There is time in your commute. So say you drop the kids off at school and then you have a 10 minute time period where you're driving to work. Or if you're in Boston and you're in like a ton of traffic like me, it's 45 minutes to get into the office. Well, instead of listening to a true crime podcast, which everybody loves, I'm I'm one of those people too, or listening to Sirius XM or Howard Stern or whatever, pick up the phone. You have that list of people. So pick up the phone and every day say, I'm going to reconnect with one person. I'm going to call. I'm going to leave a message. If if I'm going to have a, I'm going to have an ABC. If A doesn't answer, I'm going to call B. If B doesn't answer, I'm going to call C. But I'm going to leave messages. There's so much found time when you think about not wasting time. How much time do you spend going through TikTok or Instagram or whatever, where you just, oh my God, it was just 15 minutes. Like you could have had a 15 minute conversation. So I'm very mindful of where I can find time to network because networking is just reaching out to people and strengthening relationships. It doesn't have to be in an event. So that's all networking and external networking. But I want women and men to be very good and become very good at internal networking. Um, one of the biggest factors for new employee success is whether or not they build internal networks. And I'm a solopreneur now, so it doesn't affect me now. But when I look back in hindsight on my career, the biggest jumps in my career were when I when I had relationships within companies and people in the companies wanted to see me succeed. Um, so I would say the Big factor here for anybody in internal networking is to make cross silo networks. So, say you're a, you have a company that has a lot of different offerings, and you work in one specific offering. Reach out to people within the company across all silos and across all levels, because again, we're getting back at that. Like, we don't want it to be homogenous. We don't want it to just be the people at our level doing what we do. So how can I be strategic about be networking in my own office, having coffee dates within with people who have nothing to do with my job so I can better understand how all the other parts of this company works? I can figure out skill cap gap coverages because I know people and I can say, hey, this person can have, oh, you, you didn't know that that person did that. Like getting to know your colleagues across silos is one of the huge factors for success.
And ladies and gentlemen, if you didn't pick up on that, that is what we call a professional pivot. <laughs> so <laughs> very, very, very well done. You know what, Mike? I'm going to answer this question, but I'm going to get to what I want to talk about. Too. It's fairness, no, I want to talk about it all. I want to talk about it all. <laughs> we talked about, and by the way, you showed your picture of your dogs before, but for those of those of who are watching the video of this conversation, your dogs have introduced themselves several times in the back. Yeah, she, she, unfortunately, he, pa he passed away. Um, He's Long in time. memoriam now. No, I wear him on my wrist in a little spyglass. Okay. But she, Madeline, has come by. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a window there and a window there, and she is squirrel hunting. So <laughs> I hope she keeps them all out of the yard and lets you know. If oh, she kills them in the yard. So then we got <laughs> That's a little messy. <laughs> you just got to get her to dump them in somebody else's yard. Yeah. After. Can so you so toss you them over the fence, Madeline? Can you learn that tool? <laughs> Here's the next trick. Good girl. Yeah. yeah. You did a great job and I'm glad you did because this is the next place we were going in the conversation to talk about the internal networking as well yeah. and how important that is because it is easy for people just to focus on what's important for me, my mm -hmm. role, my job, my team, my objective, my bonus, whatever it might be yeah. and not build that network outside of that. So the first thing that you mentioned was the cross silo internal yeah. networking, setting up those coffee meetings, filling skill gaps and doing things like that. But this is the topic of your new keynote. This is where yeah. you've been doing a lot of research and pouring a lot yeah. of time into getting ready. And what we were talking a little bit before we came on, I was impressed with the amount of depth and research that you've put into this in order mm -hmm. to get ready to deliver and put everything. So this isn't just yeah. a, you know, 45 minute, hey, you should be aware of this. Like you've actually put a lot of time yeah. and into this. So please walk us through I mean, a little bit more of why it's important if you feel like it's necessary, but what are some of the things people should really be doing to maximize the power of their internal networks? Yeah. And I'm going to start answering this question the same way I answered the one about the external networking is why is it important? Because I can't convince you to do it if you don't know it's important. So a couple of things that an overlooked um, reason why people are successful. It's like they're just starting to do this research. And I and I love that they're doing it. But an overlooked reason why new hires are successful is the effective building and use of internal networks. So for anybody, and like, I mean, for anybody who's transitioned, and this is important too for people who are actually promoted. So the thing that's interesting is we have on, Gosh, there's so much to talk about. Um, so we have onboarding for new employees, okay? Unfortunately, um, in my research, only 20% of companies actually include internal networking structures or frameworks as part of an onboarding. And this, so this, what's crazy is also we love to promote from within. We wanna, we want people to grow within the company, but when people are promoted from within. We actually don't onboard them into their new promotion. Like it's it, it's a whole new level. They might have a whole new team. Why aren't we giving them an onboarding into that new level of where they they're at that new promotion? So that that's very interesting. Where I didn't think my research on internal networking was going to take me was into employee happiness and burnout and retention. And that's where it led to. And the startling statistic was that ugh, the startling statistic is that 68% of employees are unhappy with the level of social connection they have with their colleagues. So if 68% of people are unhappy with the level of social connection, why aren't we creating frameworks 
in which socially connecting is actually part of our work. We're spending a third, a third or more of our life at work. Why aren't we, why aren't, why aren't leaders saying social connection is an important part of your job? Um, <laughs> I, there, millennials are going to be 50% of the workforce in 2025. Okay. So boomers are exiting. I'm Gen X. We are dwindling down. Millennials will be 50% of the workforce. And then Gen X is coming, is also in the workforce and will be entering in larger numbers after 2025. And the average tenure of a millennial is 2.8 years. The average tenure for Gen X and for a boomer is 9.9 years. So it's literally less than a third of the time that um, we would have stayed at at a job. Now, it costs between 16 and 213% of a person's salary to replace them. So let's just say it's a 100-person firm. They pay $50,000 a year. They would face turnover costs of like 660000 to $2.3 each year. Like the numbers actually say a lot. But millennials aren't leaving because they're job hoppers. They're leaving because they've been taught that if they want more money, if they want a bigger voice, if they want to understand the company company culture, that they need to move. So we can combat that. We actually have an opportunity here to restructure the way we look at social interactions in our companies and internal networking and cross-silo communication and team building and you know the culture of you know um, inclusion, having employee resource groups for all the myriads of people that we hire, um, there's a real opportunity here. And if companies don't look at this and start understanding the framework to to hone in on this opportunity, it's just going to get worse. We know we have a declining population rate. We know that the population has been declining since the 1970s. And we also know that millennials aren't having kids at the rate that other generations had them. So if it's hard to create to re- retain talent now or attract new talent now. You just wait because in another generation, it's going to be even harder. That's a lot of perspective to consider. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> so when we talk about creating that social connection, to mm-hmm. use one of the stereotypes, and we're not talking about setting ping pong tables up in the middle of the office. Like, there's meaningful ways yes. to create social connection. Yeah. Now, some of this may initially appear like it flies in the face of the work from home or hybrid work right. environment. I don't necessarily know that it does. It just kind of changes the dynamics a little bit. Yeah. So in either in your research or in some of the applications that you've seen or solutions that you've developed, have you found opportunities or ways for organizations to meaningfully begin to develop some of this yeah. social connection? So they're retaining better employees and I'm assuming increasing productivity and problem yeah. solving and all of those things. Yeah. So one of the frameworks I actually stole from my external networking framework, which is the list yourself approach, where I'm asking organizations prior to the an, a person's first day at work to send them a packet, like get all of the HR forms filled out in advance. Don't put them in a room to fill out forms that can be done in advance. Get to know, send them their swag bag, their vest or their pen or their mug or whatever. But in when you're asking them to fill out all of those mundane forms that they have to do, like their bank forms and all that, 
have them fill out the thing called the list yourself approach and say just, hey, we want to get to know you. What are 10 things about you that we don't know? But oh, here's the thing. Don't mention anything to do with work. Oh, and here's some, here's four examples of list yourselves from so-and-so at the office. Here's Joe's list. Here's Julie's list. Here's like whoever list. There's no wrong answers. And so when they fill out that list yourself approach, you get this beautiful picture of who they are. And so when you get that picture of who they are, so when you are announcing a new hire to the company, and again, this is virtual or in person, when you're announcing, hey, it's it's John's first day at the office, and this is who John is, and you can list out all of those things. What happens is people are like, oh my God, I play pickleball too. Oh, I like, I have that kind of dog too, you know, whatever. It starts endearing that person and building that social connection before they even walk through the door. So that when they do walk through the door that first day and you do that walk around the office with your buddy, when they meet people, they're like, oh, hey, I saw in your list that you do this. Like, let's talk about that. It's immediately starting to build that social connection. And it's not too late to do this with your existing um or your existing comp- you know uh, employees i do i facilitate this at company retreats i just did this there's a client i have seven offices around the country all remote they've never met the seven offices have never met so they all came together and i facilitated a list yourself exercise with all the offices and the things that came out were so awesome. And the people, like, people would raise their hand and say their list. And somebody was like, oh, oh, can I can I help you with that? Like, things like some guy was like, I want to, like, oh, just for example, he was like, I really want to start doing yoga. And the guy raised his hand. He was like, I'm a yoga instructor. And, like, they never would have known that because one guy's in New York and one guy's in Texas, you know. And so you can do this exercise with your existing employees. So that's one step. Another step is to actually think about, can we offer employee resource groups? And no matter how big or small your company is, employee resource groups are easy to, you know, you could do a women's group, a young professionals group, an LGBTQIA group, a veterans group, a group for people with disabilities, a mental health health group, like, and encourage people to get involved. And not just your employees, but have have a sponsor at the executive level for every single ERG so that the concerns or the needs of that group have somebody at a high level that they can help facilitate, um, you know, answers to or help for. Um, So those are two big ones. The other one is, I kind of alluded to it, if you can have us, if you can just initiate the first coffee connection across silo, what I would suggest is you say, okay, your first week, you are assigned to somebody outside of your silo to have coffee with. And this is how it it pinballs from here is based on that conversation, that person you had coffee with suggests the next person you should have coffee with. And because it's based off of what you talk about and what you're interested in, who can help you. And so, okay, now we we are connecting across silos, but we're also using the power of triadic closure because that person is going to make that introduction for you. And so what's going to happen is you're going to see it. If you could see it graphically, you're going to meet this person. That person's going to connect you here. And that person's going to connect you here. And you are immediately connected all over the company to people you never probably would have um, talked to if you didn't have this set up. Um, So those are a couple of the ways that you can do it. There are others in the framework, but I'd say those are really you can do those all virtually or in person. Love the ideas. And I 
if I had to pick, I really like that last idea of the person you have a conversation with suggests the next. Yes. I think that's a fantastic, it's super executable and it's a fantastic idea. Yeah. And I think the companies have to say, this is important. Okay. Explain why it's important. Why cross-silo communication and teamwork is important so that when you get to that person, they're not, they don't blow off the coffee or keep rescheduling or whatever. Like, this is important. It's 20 minutes of your time. It will make a huge difference. Yeah. And if the senior leaders participate in it as well, like, it's yeah. really hard for me to justify rescheduling this. If the CEO, if the CFO exactly. is participating as well, like yeah. now I've got no excuse. There's no way I can get out of this because the head of the organization, the head of the department, whomever is exactly. also Okay, so that shuts that right down. Exactly. Yep. And I and when I'm I'm delivering this keynote for the first time next month at a CFO's conference. So this is all CFOs of construction firms. And I that is one of my call to actions. Like this is not what you tell your employees to do. This is what you become the living, breathing, you know, example of. That's fantastic. I can't wait to hear how it goes, by the way. I know, me too. I hope it doesn't suck. <laughs> it won't. I can promise you, just by this conversation, I can promise you it won't. So you just brought this up at the beginning of the conversation. We went through it. I feel like you've given us tons of insight. I don't want to steal the whole presentation. Obviously, we want to leave plenty of meat for the for the CFOs of you to roll out. But is there one idea or one nugget that came out of your research that we haven't touched on yet that you think might be really important for people to consider? Yeah. So the way I was envisioning this in, internal networking thing was, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie Everything Everywhere All at Once. But it's about the idea that there are multiverses. And so you you make a decision. And so you go into this universe based off of this decision. But if you had made a different decision, there's an alternate universe that lives over here based off the decision that you made. So I was trying to come up with a really fun way of, of describing that your bottom line, your company's bottom line is based off of hundreds of thousands of decisions made every day that you don't see. It is, are you going to create a framework in which those people can make the decisions to connect, to become friends, to build trust, to understand how the company works, to have a culture, to stay with your company? Like you need to build the framework because your bottom line is based on hundreds of thousands of decisions made outside of you, but you need to create the universe in which those decisions can be made. Love it. Love it. And now I guess I have to add that movie to my list because I haven't seen it. It's a weird movie, but it it inspired this when I was trying to figure out how I was, because I walk, because in the keynote, I walk the, I make an avatar of a new employee. And in one universe, she gets, she gets the framework and the other universe, she doesn't get the framework. And what does it cost? Yeah. And so what does it cost the company? You know, how does it affect the company when she gets the framework and doesn't get the framework? And And so there was two alternate universes. So that's kind of it. That kind of was how it came about Um, because it is based off your, your, you know, as much control as you think you have over your company, your company is based on the decisions that your employees make every single day. Now I'm super interested in your keynote. I was already interested in it, but now seeing how you framed it, I'm gonna see if I can sneak my way back to Boston and see if I can. Yeah, get Boston, September 14th. I'll get you in. I'll say you're my it. my tech guy. Yeah, yeah. I'll just fiddle with a few wires. I'm yeah, here. Yeah, you're working on something. 
I've done that before. I've literally had friends be like, hey, I want to see that. Cool. I'll put my video camera in the truck and be like, just tell me you're my camera guy. They look at me like, come on, come on. This will be fun. Um, You've given us so much great insight and so many good ideas internally, externally. I love all of it. But I do want to give a quick shout out to your podcast as well, because I had a great time on your podcast. You have a bunch of different guests on. Mm -hmm. So with a couple of minutes that we have left, I figured I would just throw this question out to you. Considering how meeting people and enhancing relationships and developing networks and creating these opportunities has is such a, a core focus of what you do, present company excluded, of course. Um, have there been any experiences that come to mind right away sharing from your podcast where people have shared ideas or experiences with you that you've turned around and started em- employing and have really helped you with what you're already doing? Yeah. I mean, I think the podcast has made me a much better networker in a couple of ways. One, I've gotten to meet so many great people. Like there's no geography in podcasting. Like I don't, we can be anywhere and I can make friends anywhere and I can keep those relationships. So I think that's one of the things it's, it's made my network more global. And again, as a woman, this is, we need more diverse networks. I mean, everybody needs more diverse networks, but we in women in general need more ne- diverse networks. And it's really helped me with that part of my networking. But there are so many things I've learned. Like I, I struggle to stay asleep at night. I can fall asleep like the dead, but then I struggle to stay asleep. And I had a sleep therapist on the podcast and she just little things that she taught about how, okay, when you can't, when you wake up and your mind is racing and you can't go back to sleep, like how to deal with that. And like, I still repeat what she said in my, in my head when I wake up at night and her thing was literally, I'll share it. So you don't have to go. She was like, okay, today, tonight's sleep is going to suck, but tomorrow I'm going to have a good night's sleep. And it's like, it's taking the pressure off of today, like trying to get back to sleep. Oh my God, I got to sleep. You know, okay. Tonight's tonight's sleep is going to suck, but tomorrow I get it. I'm going to have a good night's sleep. And like, Little things like that. And I, I had another woman who come on who helped me with um, uh, this thing called Brain FM. So Brain FM is an, it's a, um, an app. And when I'm struggling to focus, so you have to, when you're writing podcasts or speeches or whatever, you have to get in and focus. And it's these binaural sounds that you wear headphones and it, they literally do help you focus. So like I listen to brain FM, like almost every time I'm like deep in writing something like, so there's all these like fun little tidbits of things that I've picked up along the way, um, either from guests or from the research that I did this entire new keynote came out of a podcast episode, that article that I read. And I was like, oh, ways to succeed in a new role. And then after I did the podcast, I was like, wait a minute, there's so much more here than this. So like the podcast even just made a brand new keynote. That's awesome. And I think Madeline found a squirrel out of the opposite window again. So you might be surrounded by squirrels. Check check that out. She's a pointer and you can see that pointer tail. (laughs) I love it. I think it's great. Um, We have rescue dogs in our house as well. So, well, one now as well. We had two. It's it's only one now. Um, But I'm going to look up the Brain FM because I'm somebody that struggles with focus. And I also struggle with sleep. So I'm going to go specifically find that episode to listen to as well. And for people that are saying, well, this conversation is great. I want to learn more from Julie. I'll put the links in the show notes for sure. But the podcast is This Shit Works. The book is This Shit Works. And clearly this shit does work. So we want to make sure that we call that out and people find it. 
But there's something else that works that I want to call back to. And I made a joke when it happened, but I've been saving this to wrap up the conversation because it was phenomenal. And it speaks to something that I get asked about a lot. So mm-hmm. I made the joke about what a professional pivot, because you went from what we were talking about to what you wanted to talk about. Yeah. I mean, that is a hundred percent compliment. Like that was a great pivot. And so many times when I'm talking with business development people or people who are candidates for positions or negotiators or whoever it might be. And well, the, the conversation is getting railroaded one way or I'm getting asked these questions, but I, I got to take it over here. That was a brilliant example on how to know where you want to go and how to take a question that somebody else asks and build the bridge. So you didn't ignore the question. You answered the question. And then as you were wrapping up your answer, because you knew where you wanted to go, you wrapped up that answer and then turned it into where you wanted to take the conversation. I think you're making me sound better than I am. I don't think it's on purpose like that. It was awesome. Well, from now on, we're going to re-edit that part. Yes, you did do it on purpose. (laughs) But no, I'm dead serious. And if you didn't do it on purpose, I have no doubt that it comes natural and probably from your business development work and Mm -hmm. your networking and just the reps you've got and the situations that you've been in. But I do want to call that out because that was a spectacular job of very respectfully and very professionally and very intelligently respecting the person who asked the question, giving them the answer they wanted, and then using that answer to take the conversation where you wanted it to be to show the value that you wanted to present. And I mean, that is a hundred percent compliment for people that were listening. If you're like, I didn't catch that, rewind it, listen to how she did that. People, the context I get asked that the most in are candidate interviews. And if I'm being interviewed for an executive role, there's something I really want to illustrate business development as well. You know, there's an opportunity here. I want to make sure I get to, right. But that was a spectacular job of making that transition in a super professional, intelligent, respectful way. Very well done. That was an awesome, unintentional educational opportunity. I couldn't let us go. Thank you. No, that was great. That was great. So before we go, hopefully people are listening. I already said I'll include the links to the book and to the podcast, of course. But for people that are looking to learn more from you, find more about you, how they can connect with you, interact with you, where do they go to find more Julie? Yeah, so I would go to my website, which is Julie Brown, B-D. So B as in boy, D as in dog, juliebrownbd.com. And you can, I mean, there's lots of information on the website, but I would suggest, I have a newsletter that comes out every Wednesday and it's a fun story that I somehow turn into a networking lesson. Um, And it's a really great newsletter. I have like 87% open rate, which is unheard of for newsletters because it's so fun. Um, I would suggest you scroll down to the bottom of my my, uh, website and you just put in your name and your email address, you'll get added to my newsletter. I don't sell anything. It's just funny stories. Um, yesterday was about, did you know this? So Women's Equality Day is August 26th. So it's coming up. It's around the corner, August 26th. Um, and it's also National Toilet Paper Day. Now weird. Like women's equality, national toilet paper day. So anyways, I made it a networking thing, but I also had a big poll in the newsletter about, okay, so there's a right and a wrong way to put the toilet paper on. Is it, is it toilet paper come over or does it come under? Well, the results are in. Um, I got the results because it was like, click here, click it. And it's overwhelmingly one way. Um, but there is a patent. There was a patent with toilet paper to tell you exactly how it, it's supposed to be. Oh. I mean, literally. This is what my newsletter is. It's like, here's your patent on Hard what it is. Like, stop, news. 
but somehow I make it about networking. <laughs> and after this conversation, I'm not surprised that you can tie those together. Not surprised at all. And I'm not going to ask the follow-up question. People that want to know the answer, they got to go log yeah. in with your newsletter and check it out. Julie, yeah. this conversation has been fantastic. Thank you so much. I appreciate your time. I appreciate all the stories you told, insights you shared. Thank you very much. I'll include all the links. Hopefully everybody signs up for that newsletter, hunt you down. And I wish you all of the best with your new keynote. I'm excited oh. to hear how it goes. I'm excited to hear how it goes too. <laughs> Thank you so much. I look forward to seeing Thank you, you again soon. I wish you all the best. Take care. Be safe. Thank you. Thanks. Julie, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. What a conversation you shared so much that is so helpful, certainly to myself, and I'm assuming so many others. As you heard me say, full confession, networking is not something that I have traditionally done very well at all. Don't know that I'm so much introverted, might be more antisocial, and certainly some of my friendships and personal relationships I keep, we don't speak very often. So I loved your thought about opening dormant relationships. I thought that was great. Triadic closure, fantastic. So many good, just asking questions that increase somebody's dopamine. Great thoughts, great content, great conversation, Julie. Thank you so much for your time today. I truly appreciate it. And I'm really excited to see the impact that this conversation has on people's lives when they go to apply your work. I'm also very excited to hear about this new keynote presentation. I know it's going to be fantastic. And if you people haven't, please check out her podcast as well. This shit works. I'll make sure that we have links to it. But if you enjoyed that conversation and all the value she brings, imagine the value that she gets out of her guests as well. So make sure you check out her podcast. This shit works. Once again, thank you to all of our sponsors. Humatel, if you are looking to understand when somebody's emotions are changing by accurately evaluating their facial expressions and nonverbal behavior, head over to humantel.com and unlock the strategic value that skill will give you in all of your high impact conversations. When you're there, enter the code in Quasive 25 for 25% off all of their online training. Emotional Intelligence Magazine, ei-magazine.com. Please head over there for all of their emotional intelligence-related resources. And of course, the International Association of Interviewers at certifiedinterviewer.com. That's where you can learn more to see if membership to the organization is right for you or your organization with all of their interviewer-related and investigation-related support resources and learn more about the certified forensic interviewer designation. It was great for me, for my colleagues. Is it right for you in the next step in your career? Thank you to everybody that took the time to watch and listen to this conversation today. We really do appreciate it. Thank you. Please do the things the algorithms ask us to. Subscribe to the show, like the show, follow the show, share the show, tell your friends about it. Leave us our feedback. Please let us know what you like. Would you love to see more of? Would you like to hear less of? How can we continue to adapt the show so it has the biggest impact on you because you're taking the time to listen? Thank you very much. And once again, thank you to Julie, our sponsors. Thank you to all of you. Please stay safe, take care of each other, and we'll see you next time.